So the Word of God that forms the basis of our meditation today is going to come out of our epistle lesson, Philippians chapter 2, and I want to reread the first five verses. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And that's our text. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, once again, again you have brought us to this place of worship and fellowship uh, where we gathered not only to sing and pray, but to hear your word and apply to our lives. We ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit to us in such a way that this would be an opportunity for us to, again, focus our, our attention on the main thing. And that, of course, is your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that our faith in him would uh, guide and direct our relationship with you and each other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So before we actually get into the sermon, unless you consider this a sermon and you want to start your clocks, um, the book of Philippians is a very interesting book. Um, The Philippians were the were the first European congregation established in Europe. European, yeah, where else would you establish it? Um, Paul started it on his second missionary journey. And there was something about the Philippians that held a special place in Paul's heart. Uh, One might even consider the church at Philippi as his favorite congregation. It doesn't say that, but... How you read it does. Um, Well, forgive me for the comparison. It's kind of like how I feel about you guys. Uh, This is my favorite congregation. Uh, You know, when you're a part of it and you've had the opportunity to watch people grow up and be a part of it, my my heart goes out to you guys. Kind of like a a parent with a child, grandparent. A lot of that that reasoning and thought process are, are a part of what he says to us today. Because he legitimately cares. He wants the best for this congregation as I want, as you would want for your own family. And um, so I want to do his opening in a, in a way that I think he would have. He starts off by saying, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ... Now, I look out to you, and I'd like to think that all of you would say yes to that. Maybe it's been a while since you've been encouraged. Maybe you were encouraged, but the things that are happening right now aren't overly encouraging. You're a little maybe depressed and frustrated. But if you stop and think of your life, surely you can say you have at one time been encouraged because of your relationship with Christ. That's how I think about you. I I couldn't do this job any other way. If any, comfort from his love. Now, this usually, you have to be a certain age. Uh, I I don't know. 
for I don't really remember experiencing this when I was a kid, but the older I got, it was all over the place. My loved ones especially started to die, grandma and grandpa. Uh, I was an adult when my mom and dad and my brother died. And boy, when you experience a loss of a loved one, where else do you find comfort but his love? That's what allows us to go on. The death of a saint we know is with God. And, and so I trust in that promise that God gives me, and it actually comforts me. I like to think that at one time or another, you guys have been comforted by his love. Any fellowship with the Spirit now, when I think of fellowship of the, with the Spirit, I always think about the times when maybe the hair stands up on the back of your neck or your arms. There's a song that's sung. Maybe you have to be at Easter uh, or, or Christmas time, but there are those songs that just pluck a kind of an emotional chord. Maybe there's a sermon. Maybe there's a, a sentence in a sermon where you go, oh, I never thought of that that way before. Oh, now this makes sense. Where... The Spirit is the one that leads you along. It's that fellowship of recognizing that when God's Word is spoken, the Spirit is all over that. He wants you to understand. He wants you to come to a point of of appreciation and value. And I'd like to think, I really would be sad, in fact, if nobody's experienced the fellowship of the Spirit here. So I'm going to continue thinking that you actually have, although nobody's nodding their head and smiling. Any tenderness? And compassion. Wow. Uh, have there been times, very simple, uh, similar to the comfort, uh, the sense where, especially when I deal with my sin, um, it, it bothers me. It really does. I'm sad that I, I'm as old as I am and I've been doing this as long as I have and I still do stuff or not do stuff. I think stuff, or, or not think stuff. And that burden, especially when I think about you guys, and is there an impact there, that, that bothers me, and yet God's Word has compassion on me. And the forgiveness of that guilt and that, that sense of, of hurt is, is helpful. I, I, don't, I don't know how you could do this without having that experience with God. Now, here comes the, the you're my favorite congregation part, because I actually think Philip, the, the church at Philippi was his. You can also insert yourself as a, a mom or dad or grandparent in this, because I think, grandparent, I think parents think this way when it comes to their kids. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. This is almost verbatim what my mother wanted right before she passed away. Don't start acting like a bunch of idiots after I'm dead and they wonder what kind of parent you had. Try to get along with them, each other, as a reflection of the love I've had for you. And I, wow, <laughs> what do you do with that? It's, the, it's really the prayer of, of, of the pastor in a, in a church of a a very powerful part that that you guys get along with each other, that you're like-minded, that you have the same love that Jesus has for you. That's the same love that you have for each other. And that then there's this spirit of unity and purpose. Why are we here? What are we all about? 
Now, if you can't answer yes to any of these things or you have no clue what I'm talking about, I apologize because that's exactly what the sermon's about. Okay. So here we have this call on behalf of Paul. Be like-minded, have same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And he defines that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. That makes sense. But how do you do it? Have you ever noticed that when you try really hard to do something admirable, you want to do the best thing that you fail? Think of that perfect uh, uh, anniversary meal that you want to have, and you're spending so much time thinking about the bread, you forget about the, the vegetables that are uh, being stirred fried, and some of them start to burn. You wanted to make it all special, but trying to juggle everything at the same time and having it all come out hot? It didn't work. Athletes. Have you ever seen a, a, a team, a good team, the, the Chiefs sometimes, they talk about how they're not operating on all cylinders and then people start trying too hard. The old quarterback is going to throw a, a pass and he puts some extra zip on it so he can fit it into this little hole and the guy can't keep his hands on it. We're all trying we think we are reading each other's mind, and then uh, the receiver cuts left, and the quarterback throws it right. And sometimes you'll see them throw their hands up, my bad, I was trying, I thought I knew what you really wanted, and I didn't. It happens to pastors, too. You try to come up with that perfect sermon, and you end up either putting too much stuff in it that you lose the main point or not putting enough stuff in it that by the time the sermon's over, what was that all about? You want to get it so, so right that you throw things in that are important, but I, maybe I've already lost some of you. I'm not sure. This was an attempt, by the way, to make a perfect sermon. Just to illustrate the point that it's when you try to do certain things, you set yourself up for failure. That's the same thing when it comes to the virtue of humility. How do you become humble? Can you focus on being humble and actually become humble? And the answer to that is no. The harder you try to be humble, the more humility eludes you. Because you can't achieve humility by trying. If you try to be humble, you're putting yourself actually in a spiritually hazardous place. Because trying to be humble, you're putting the focus on yourself. And true humility is focused on the needs of others. But I really want to be focused on the needs of others. What do you set yourself up for? Well, Satan likes to take these attempts and twist them. He throws these little cuckoo eggs into our, our nest of attempts at humility, and it's only a matter of time where we've been humble enough that we go, but no one's being humble to me. 
Maybe you've tried it as a husband, wife, a child, or parent. Okay, uh, I'm going to try really hard to put your needs before mine. <laughs> I really try hard. And then what you do is you start keeping track because you're doing it. You're thinking, I did this, I did this. How much longer? I'll do it again. I'll do, don't, that's, that's what I'm going to do. There comes a point where you go, this isn't working. Where's the benefit? Where's the return here? You weren't really being humble. What you're doing is trying to manipulate others by acting like you cared about them. And you, you might, but you were looking for a return back. You start comparing yourself to other people. Humility isn't something that you can do by yourself because the focus is going to be on yourself. It's self-centered. Truly humble people are humble because they don't try. All they do is they think of other things. Their minds are occupied with things that are not themselves. And that's what Paul says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So, Paul sets out Christ and his attitude as a a way of encouraging us. In other words, put Christ first, and then everything else, including humility, follows. Notice what Jesus did, what his attitude, how it shaped his behavior. And he's He's not trying, Jesus, uh, to create a, a situation. My goal is to impress people that God has given to me with my humility. His goal was to fulfill the mission of salvation out of his love for his Father, but out of his love for you. He was thinking about you. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped? We call him the Son of God. I mean, here's Jesus under no other name. Well, will people bow in reverence, but Jesus, and yet, when you look at what Jesus did while he was doing it, he wasn't thinking that that was his goal. I want to be that name. No, he wanted to be the one who saves. And that meant he did things that weren't thinking about himself. It was thinking about you. He didn't think equality with God was something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. We have the Son of God And there are times in Jesus' ministry where you can see the divine kind of sneak out in the miracles and and especially the way he taught. I mean, there was authority there. But he always was very humble when it came to his relationship with his father. And why did he do that? Again, he was serving the demands that his father placed upon the creation the very demands that the creation couldn't complete for themselves. And so here's the Son of God. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, as a human being, we would say, what a me. 
I'm a human. That's pretty cool. What, what's, what's, what do you mean, nothing? Well, think about being God turning into you. He knows everything. He's everywhere. He's, he is all-powerful as God, and yet he humbles himself to become a finite being. As God, he's every place. All the time, as, as Christ, he's located at one place at one time. Again, periodically you see the, the glory of God coming out of him, but there are also equal number of times that the Son of God is acting like he doesn't know stuff. He's acting like the human being who, who sees and yet doesn't see it all. Remember the time the lady in the crowd reached up and touched his garment and her bleeding was stopped? And he goes, who touched me? You're Jesus, you know. No, he didn't. This is God. And yet he takes on the form of a human being. And not just a man, but the servant of a man. I mean, to become a human being at his incarnation is one thing. But what did he do with that life? Found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Wow. Here's the Son of God that deserves to be worshipped and honored. And what is he doing? He's serving the people that should serve God but don't. That should praise God but don't. He's taking into himself the very sin that caused the divide between God the Father and people in the first place. And he's taken that on himself. He became obedient to death. Because there was no other way that we could be saved. Jesus fulfilled the Father's demand by humbling himself. Not thinking he didn't deserve to die because he was the Son of God. Not discounting some sins because he didn't like certain people. He died for the sins of everybody. Because he loved everybody. His focus wasn't on himself. I mean, in the garden, he said, Lord, if it be thy will, may this cup pass from me, but not thy, my will, thy will be done. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about the Father, and he was thinking about the ramifications that would have come if he would have pulled away from taking the cup that was poured for him. That's what he did to fulfill the ministry or the mission that he was called to. He was God's obedient servant and that's why he did servant things now we learn this attitude of humility from jesus himself note this is out of hebrews 12 let us fix our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who are we supposed to think about are we supposed to think about being humble or are we supposed to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith? Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This verse always blows my mind. Because when I think about the death and resurrection, I think, oh, what a terrible thing for Jesus. So tortured. 
the writer to Philippians says, I mean, Hebrews says, no, it was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, the shame. What was the joy that you and me would be forgiven our sins? He was thinking about us. The joy was that we would no longer be separated from our Father, but we would be united with our Heavenly Father because he thought of us first. He thought about being faithful to his Father. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful man so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, this is what happens when you try to be humble. Sooner or later, you run out of humble gas. Sooner or later, it's like, this is for the birds. I'm not getting a payoff here at all. My relation still is, is struggling. I want something out of it, and I thought being humble would be the way. But you guys aren't being humble back with me, so what's the point? You think so much about it, it doesn't pay off. In fact, what happens is, like I said earlier, the devil comes in and starts planting all these seeds that we're more than happy to grow for him. Seeds of disconnect. Seeds that, that, that cause division. That want to point out the failures of others so that we can feel more humble. At least I'm not like them. They're all into themselves. I'm being humble, which I'm doing by being all into myself. It's kind of weird how that works. But how do we get this humility? We keep our focus on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. By focusing our thoughts on Jesus and what he did, we're able to see that we have been put here not only to love and serve God as he loved and served us, but to also love other people. And I love other people through Jesus. I don't always like people. I'm pretty sure some of you would say the same. But I'm not asked to like you. I'm commanded to love you. Because Jesus loved me first. And because I focus on Christ's love for me, then my focus isn't on me anymore when it comes to you. It's focused on the fact that you're a gift of God to me. I pray that I'm a gift of God to you. Keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus is the way that we humble ourselves with the same attitude of Jesus. Verse 13. Uh, uh, verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. Because of Jesus' obedient death on the cross, God the Father exalted him. He didn't exalt himself. God the Father said, well done, good and faithful servant. To you is given my right hand. And because of your service on behalf of people, you have that place where all mankind of all history will acknowledge you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And actually we have that attitude. 
Paul says two verses later, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. You see, it's not what I do. It's what God does in me. By keeping my focus on Christ, the author and perfecter of my faith, little by little, I stop thinking about myself as much as I did before. I become more aware of the pain and the hurt of others. And I serve not so that you're going to say, hey, thanks for serving me. No, I serve because I have been served. And this is now part of my spiritual uh, DNA. This is the gift that Christ accomplished for me when he died on the cross for my sins. And because he has given that gift to me, I find the strength and courage to give it with other people. This restores my relationship with God the Father as the giver, but it also restores my relationships with others, especially my brothers and sisters in Christ who have the same encouragement, the same fellowship in the Spirit, the same comfort, same compassion. We are the children of God, the people of God. And God has given that to us to unite us as we keep our eyes on the source of our faith and relationship with each other, and that is Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.